to reboot again. Good morning. My name's Tony, and I am the lead pastor here. Uh, but don't be fooled, I'm not in charge. Um, I like to tell people that because they come to me thinking I'm in charge, and I end up sending them somewhere else. So that means you're not in charge, right? So my name's Tony. I'm the lead pastor. If you're online with us today, we haven't said hi for a while, but we're glad you've joined us today. You couldn't be here, or you're just checking us out, and we wanted to say hi. Uh, come out and see us. Uh, we're the Red Building uh, red roofed building on the corner of 20 and uh, Gerald Lett, and we'd love to meet you and see you. Uh, we average maybe 30 people online a week. That's pretty good. Um, people get to take in the whole service, and we're excited about that. So we've been in this new series called Fully You, uh, Unlocking Your New Identity in Christ, and it has to be unlocked. It has to be, because Sin and shame has so locked away who you really are that once Christ enters into your heart, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, the deepest part of you, He begins to unlock the true you. He begins to unlock who God really intended you to be, minus the sin and minus the shame. And we talked a lot about guilt and shame, didn't we? We shared the idea that guilt and shame are two completely different things. Guilt says, I did something wrong. We're all guilty of that. We're guilty of a lot of things, right? We did something wrong. I mean, I'm constantly telling somebody that I did something wrong, and I feel guilty about that, so I did something wrong. I confess. But shame goes a little deeper than guilt. It says, there's something wrong with me. It's that idea that you begin to be shamed by who you are, not necessarily what you did. That would be guilt. And we talked about original sin. We talked about what original sin is. Original sin is that inherited loss of the image of God. You know, in the beginning, God created you in the image of Himself. But when we sinned, shame entered in, and original sin is that lost image. It's that we inherited, we were just born with this bent against God. That we don't want anyone telling me how to live my life, we don't need God, we don't need anyone else, and this original sin is in us. And I shared with you this hurt triangle. I said, when God created you in His image, He created you with three really basic needs. To feel safe, to feel connected down on the right corner there, and to feel empowered. And as long as you were connected to God and had a relationship with God, God provided those needs to you. He provided safety. He provided connection. He provided empowerment. But when the first couple sinned, shame came. And shame came to us as abandonment. We no longer felt safe because the relationship was broken, so we felt abandonment. And then we no longer felt connected to God, so we felt rejection. Remember the first couple? What's the first thing they did after they sinned? They hid from God. They thought God would reject them, that God would, would 
would reject them because he, the connection was broken and God comes walking in the garden. He says, Adam and Eve, where are you? You know? He says, well, we hid. Well, why are you hiding? Because we're naked, shame. Who told you you were naked? This is what we do with our life. When we don't get our needs met, we feel shame, abandonment, rejection. When we don't feel empowered, we feel humiliated. And our sinful defense mechanisms are to go like this. When I feel abandonment, I just self-absorb. I don't need you. I don't need God. I'm not going to put myself out there to get hurt again. And so I just self-absorb. It becomes all about me. And that could even lead to narcissism, which is a mental disorder. And then when we feel rejected, then we self-gratify. That's our defense mechanism. We self-gratify. Instead of getting our needs met through our connected relationships, we're disconnected and we begin to self-gratify. We begin to become addicted to things and look to things and people and experiences to satisfy. And that never happens. And that's where addiction comes from. And then when we feel humiliated... We try to control everything. We don't want to be humiliated, so we'll control the situation. We'll make things so perfect. We'll try to control you and try to control that thing and try to control our job and try to control this and try to control that to the point where we become perfectionists and OCD. People laugh, oh, it's my OCD. Well, and I asked you to grab a hold of a corner that's the closest to how you live. I'm going to be honest with you. I have lived. I live in all three of these at times, and God's constantly reminding me of these things. This morning, I was in that left corner. I had forgotten to put my pack on, and I was running around here like a chicken with my head cut off. And I go, and 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 Philip's in the back, and he's the sound guy, and he's like, "Do you have your microphone on?" I said, "You know, I've been here for an hour, and I haven't put my microphone on." His response to me was, "I know you've been micromanaging everything." And I said, you're right. I have been. I went into control mode. I had to control things. And then we talked about Jesus. And how Jesus on the cross, His death and His resurrection renders the sin and shame powerless in your life. You say, Why? how is that? Because on the cross, think about this. Jesus, who was innocent was abandoned. There is no other bigger abandonment in life than to be on the cross dying for something you didn't do and all of your friends leave you. He was abandoned. Jesus also on the cross felt rejection. He came with nothing but love and healing and a hope in God. And they rejected Him. And they nailed him to a cross. And think about the humiliation of the cross. An innocent man, stripped naked, hanging there on a criminal's cross for the whole world to pass by and see. Did Jesus self-gratify? Did Jesus self-absorb? Did Jesus control the situation and the people around him? No. He was the one man in this world that's ever been 
since Adam, who didn't go into self-defense mode, but instead loved perfectly. There on the cross, where mercy and justice met, he loved us perfectly. That's the hope. That even though we face humiliation and rejection and abandonment and feel that shame, and we enter into sinful behavior, listen, you cannot love as God wants you to love if you're always defending yourself. You cannot love like Jesus loved if you're always feeling the humiliation and the rejection and going into these selfish, self-centered, defensive mechanisms. So last week, I shared with you the gift of anger. That triangle that we saw. I said, look, God gave you a gift. It's called anger. Anger is not a sin, but a sign. When you become angry, it's a sign that the need has not been met, you feel shame, and your self-defenses come up, and you become angry. Anger is a secondary emotion to a primary problem. And we talked about that. That our need to protect, and our need to defend, and our need to get angry, to control, it's sinful. I cannot love. Anger is good. As long as I look beneath the secondary emotion to the primary and submit that to God and say, God, I'm angry because I'm humiliated. God, I'm angry because I feel rejected. God, I'm angry because I feel abandoned. And it's there in that moment that you submit that anger, that humiliation that rejection, that abandonment to Jesus. And you just let Him love you. You let Him pour His love over you. Today, we go on the offensive. No more defense, but we're going to go on the offensive. We're going to go to war. We're going to wage a war against shame and against sin. Because that's what Jesus did. On the cross, he was waging war. Shame and sin are things that we need to overcome through the power of the cross, through the power of Jesus. Today, we're going to take this deeper step. We're going to go deeper today. I talked about the needs and the shame and the self-defense, and I've talked about anger, and I've, I've talked enough for you to understand to be able to begin to see this in your life every day in your relationships. So now we need to go deeper. We need to go down to where real change happens. Let me just start by saying this. Statistically, statistically, people don't change. They just don't. I mean, at our core of who we are, we don't change. You can change a behavior with enough hard work and enough, you know, New Year's resolutions and whatever it is that we do to change behavior, we can change behavior for a little while, but eventually it comes right back out. We can say, I'm not going to yell at them anymore in the right situation, we yell at them again. We can say, I'm not going to have those thoughts 
and some situation comes up in your everyday life and you have those thoughts. The truth is, they say statistically, that people just don't change. And why is that? Because change is hard. It's hard. It's hard work. It's two steps forward and one step back. It's one step forward and two steps back. It's this constant trying to change. The Apostle Paul felt this in Romans chapter 7. He kind of went into this, okay, I am really struggling with sin right now, and he's trying to put some theology to it, and he's writing this letter, and in Romans chapter 7 he says this, For I know that good itself, for I know that good itself not for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. There I said it. That is, now listen, in my sinful nature. There's that sin and shame thing. It's in your nature. For I have this desire to do what is good. And so do you, right? I've never met anyone who says, you know, I really desire to do bad. That's my goal in life. To just be as bad as I can be. I mean, let's just do it, right? Well, I've met a few people like that. I shouldn't say I've never met anybody like that. But man, they're so far in rebellion and anger and frustration. But the, the truth is, most of us are like, yeah, I'm there with you, Paul. I too want to do what is good. But listen what he says. But I cannot carry it out. Change is hard. I want to change. I want to be different. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do this, but I can't. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. Paul's really good at separating sin and shame with who we're really intended to be. He draws a line there. And he says, you know, this really isn't me. But it is sin living in me that does it. Change is hard. Behavioral changes are hard, but sometimes we can manage, right? How many of you have had New Year's resolutions? Oh, come on. How many of you have had New Year's resolutions? I've had at least a couple dozen this year, right? How many of you have kept all those New Year's resolutions? Yeah, now that's more like it. Not a hand that comes up, right? Because change is hard. We start the year. I want to change this habit. I want to start a new habit. I want to change my diet. I want to lose weight. I want to get out of debt. We have said these things over and over and over. And we go out and we live and we never change. New Year's resolution fails. Remind us that change is hard. I don't doubt your sincerity. I don't doubt your will. I don't doubt any of that or your desire to change. I just know from my life that pure outward physical change, changing behavior is tough. Perhaps with the right condition, though, you might change. Watch this funny video and see if it makes you have to reboot again. Hey, Dwight, do you want an Altoid? What do you think? 
In school, we learned about this scientist who trained dogs to salivate at the sound of a bell by feeding them whenever a bell rang. So for the past couple weeks, I've been conducting a similar experiment. Dwight, one Nelka. Okay. Altoid? Sure. Bentoid? <laughs> Bentoid? Yes. What are you doing? I... What? I don't know. I... Well, my mouth tastes so bad all of a sudden. Well... With the right conditioning and the right, you know, the, the right uh, conditions and the right environment, the, the right amount of willpower, you might possibly create a physical outward change in someone's life. We try to change our environments. We stay away from certain places. We turn on internet filters. We change our cable package. We pop a pill. We don't go down certain aisles of the store. All of this is a start to change. But real, lasting change does not happen from the outside in. Behavioral changes are hard, but how about the inward changes? We look at our outward behaviors, but what about your thoughts? What about your desires? What about your emotions? We have these funny idioms, don't we, in America? Maybe you've seen this one, cool as a cucumber. It's an idiom. You know what that is, right? It's a little short phrase that speaks the truth, but in a funny kind of, yeah, funny way. How about hold your horses? Cool as a cucumber means just be patient. Hold, hold, your, you know, hold your horses, I'm sorry, it means be patient, just wait. How about out of the blue? We say these things, right? See if you can tell what idiom I'm going to give you on this one. Well, one man's poison is another man's bacon. <laughs> We can go to back where to where to where you were born. The sty. You know where your roots are. Where pigs eat swill and wallow in the mud. Remember that? You're overacting. What? You're overacting. You're hamming it up. <laughs> I am not. I am trying to save this movie. Oh yeah, we'll save your performance instead. You can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. You can put a dress and a hat and a wig on a pig, but it's still a... Yes. To simply change your outward behavior, to simply become just a moral person, is not the change of heart that we need. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. In the end, whatever is at the heart of who I am is who I am. Not my behavior, 
not what I change. Richard Foster, who is a spiritual writer, he wrote books on spiritual disciplines. He says this, superficiality is the curse of our age. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, and I would even say moral people, but for deep people. Real, lasting change is an inside job. You can't just change your behavior. You can't just change your thoughts and your emotions and all of that. It goes even deeper than that. When I was born again, my spirit was dead to God. Sin had made me deaf and dumb in the spiritual relationship to God. I could not find Him. I could not know Him. I could not have relationship with Him. But when I was born again, the Spirit of God renewed my spirit brought me back to life, and now I was able to be in a relationship with Him. I was justified by God. We talked a little bit about that, that God looked at me in a, in a legal sense and said, you're guilty of sin, but you've claimed the blood of Christ. It is as though you never did it, and He created this relationship and cleared the way. We like to say, in our denomination, in our theology, that this was our initial sanctification. I know I'm throwing big words out there. What is sanctification? It's simply the process of restoring that image of God that was lost. The goal of God when He came into my heart was to bring me back to life and then to begin the process of restoring me back to what it was He intended me to be. That is called sanctification. It's about, some people say it's making holy, it's setting apart, it's taking the the results and the sin itself and fixing my life from the inside out. Change, or sanctification as I'm speaking about it, is hard. There are always these temptations to go back to what is familiar I've met so many people in my life who give their hearts to Jesus and they go for a while and then they go back. It gets hard. They have to begin to allow God to deal with the deeper parts of our life. It's easier to take a road that is more traveled than it is to take a road less traveled. Tamara and I, we like to go on trail hikes. We love Polkagan. The reason we love Polkagan are... The paths are wide, well-traveled, free of rocks, free of weeds, free of poison ivy. I could waller in poison ivy and I don't get it, but my wife breathes it and gets it. We love Polkagan trails because these roads are well-traveled and they're easy to walk. They're easy. Well, minus the hills and the hard stuff, right? But my wife is, is uh, we love these trails because they're easy to go. There's a story in, in Exodus where the people of Israel were leaving Egypt. They were slaves for 400 years. And they were leaving Egypt, and they're out in the desert, and they've, they've seen incredible things. You know, God, like, did these 
these amazing miracles to deliver them. And they were enslaved. They were under the rule of Pharaoh. They were being whipped daily, worked till they almost died. They didn't have a life of their own. They were enslaved. Moses comes along and says, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. So they take all these Hebrew people and they deliver them. And God even parts a sea for them. And they walk through the sea. And it wasn't long when they were out in the wilderness looking for this promised land that they were promised that they began to grumble. It got hard. You know, it was great when God was splitting the Red Sea and they just walked across dry land, but now they're out in the desert walking and it's hard. What do you think the first thing is that they started to grumble about? We should just go back to Egypt. What? But you were slaves. Yeah, but we had food. We should just... We had a better back... Let's just go back to Egypt. What? I could hear Moses. What? Are you crazy? You were slaves. They whipped you. Yeah, but at least I had a place to put my head. You see, it got hard. And the first thing they wanted to do was go back. The ups and the downs of change are hard. The problem is not the change. The problem is the frustration that they're trying to change themselves. We forget that the power to really change is not about my exterior, but it's about what's happening in my heart. Lasting change must be an inside job and Only God works inside out. Only God works inside out. We might change our behaviors through willpower. We might change our thoughts and our desires through counseling and education and life lessons. And all of these things are good and they're all necessary and a start to the real change. But the truth is, only God can go to the deepest part of me and change me. Paul has this verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says this, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, may your whole soul, and may your whole body be kept blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be fully you, to be fully unlocked to the potential that God has for you means that you must have a complete restoration of your life from the inside out. Restoring that image of God that was there in the beginning. It's no surprise that Paul lays out the human nature in three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. Being created in the image of God who is body, soul, and spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Think about that. He is three in one, and so are you. Paul says the body. He means your physical life, the outward life, your actions, 
what you do with your hands and your feet, where you go, what you see, what you do in the exterior world. The problem here is most of us live here. We never get beyond the physical world. We think all of our problems can be solved if we just change our outward behavior. It doesn't work that way. Because it's just a third of who you are. Most of us live our lives in the physical world. Our time, our energy is focused there. The soul, Paul says, he uses a word, suke. Now what does that sound like? Word do you get today? Psyche. Psychology. That's what the psychology is. It's the study of the emotions. It's the study of our needs and our desires. It's the study of our thought patterns. Paul says that we are psyche. Suke. It's our thoughts, our desires, our emotions. Few of us jump in here. There's a few of us that will go deep enough to start to try to sort out emotions, try to sort out feelings, try to sort out our desires. What do we really want out of life? What is it that I truly desire? What am I trying to do with my life that I'm chasing after a desire that I want? Many, some of us will go here. And we'll use the use of a counselor or a pastor or a friend or a group to delve into the psyche of who we are. You can change your physical, and you can change even some of your thought and your emotion patterns, but you still have a problem. It's the spirit that is the deepest of who we are. It's the deepest part of us. It's the part of you that is sensitive and responsive to God. God is spirit. Naturally, he dwells with your spirit. God's not in your flesh or even in your mind. God's in your heart, your spirit. And he dwells with your spirit. Now, this is important. When you become a Christian and you, give God, you ask God to come into your heart, into your life, he does not remove your spirit and replace it with his. He coexists with your spirit. It becomes a relationship between your spirit and his. And it also becomes a battle of your will and his will. God is spirit, and he dwells. It's the place where God speaks. It's the place where God convicts us. It's the place where God challenges us. It's the place where God prompts for the greatest change in our life. It's the place that he tells us about the sin and the attitudes, and it's the place that he begins to work in our spirit. He works in, out, not out, in. Salvation is a cohabitating event. God moves into your life and cohabitates with your spirit. Your spirit is made alive. You begin to sense Him. You begin to hear Him. You begin to understand Him. You begin to have conversations with Him. And the sanctification that I'm talking about today 
is a voluntary, your will, voluntarily submitting to God to be the new household, head of the household. God begins to make the changes that need to happen in your life, in your spirit, because sin and shame dwell in your spirit. It's about your will. It's about your rebelliousness. It's about your bent toward God or away from God. And God begins to change you from the inside out, and then it takes effect in your thoughts and your emotions and your desires, and then eventually it changes your behavior. Through the process of sanctification, we slowly begin to trust God with all areas of our life. We begin to give Him space. We begin to make room for Him. We begin to allow Him to speak into my life. And the Spirit begins to change us. Until one day, we wake up and realize, I sure am fighting with God a lot. I'm still in charge. I want God to change me, but there's this battle between His Spirit and mine. His will and my will. And even though I'm born again, even though God is in me and working in me, I don't fully trust Him. That's an eye-opening day for you. When you realize that even though you're walking with God and He's in you, that you are still very much trying to control God. And all He really wants you to do is let Him have His way. This is a moment that God brings you to in your life, in His time and in His place, where you realize that at salvation you got all of Him, but He's not quite got all of you. And it's there that you realize, I need to completely surrender to His will. And just let him have his way. We call this entire sanctification. Not that God stops changing me after I surrender. Because trust me, there's a lot of work that God needs to do in your life and my life from this moment until I die. And he wants to continue to do that. But he keeps running into your will. Your will butts up against him you're butting heads with god on something in your life and you've not allowed him to have control the entire means through and through as paul said in his text that god would sanctify you through and through that you're entirely his sanctification is not some five-step jump through a hoop thing that can happen There are no prerequisites. There are no, do these five things and God will sanctify you. That's not the way that works. I look at sanctification as a dance where you have two people who are trying to have a waltz. One person needs to lead and the other person needs to follow. And if both people try to lead, I'm always stepping on the one who should be leading. 
I'm always going the wrong direction with the one who should be leading. And there's this pull in this fight. If you've ever seen two people try to dance and they're both trying to lead, it doesn't work. Sanctification is when you stop trying to lead and allow God to lead your life. You let Him dance with you. It's a relationship between you and the Almighty in the deepest part of who you are. I also think of it as two lovers trying to coexist who've just gotten married and they're learning what it means to submit and to defer to the other. Sanctification is not just a theological word or some framework that we've worked out systematically. Sanctification is a relationship between you and God in the innermost part of your spirit where He begins to to work through the things in your life that you need to let go and to let Him have His way with you. Real, lasting change is a work of grace. Grace is the Holy Spirit at work in your life. You don't deserve it. You've not earned it. It's His unmerited favor. It's Him coming into your heart and into your life, into your spirit, and wanting to coexist with you. It's initiating and sustaining our recovery to what it means to be like Jesus. Essentially, grace is this, God's loving presence at work in you. And this sanctifying that happens in your life is a work of grace. God's grace inspires and enables it, but does not, does not overpower you. You can resist it. You can say no. It just simply means that great change will not happen. The deepest, most spiritual change is cooperant. Is it cooperant? It's cooperating. God's grace, God's spirit initiating the change, and you responsibly responding to a yes. Change me, God. So how? Sounds theological, and it is. I, I tried to work it out and there are volumes of books written on this stuff. And they're all different, and they all say different things. But let me just kind of wrap it up with how this might happen in your life and my life. Real lasting change truly happens through spiritual disciplines. Period. You must create space in your life to allow the Spirit of God to work in your spirit. Because the physical and the psyche, the soul, will overwhelm you. We don't naturally live in the spiritual. It's not natural to us. We live and act and react and and live in the physical. And so we must create space in our life We must be disciplined enough to allow the Spirit of God to begin to work in my spirit. I've got to go spiritual. I've got to go deep diving. 
I've got to go down where I typically don't go. And the only way to do that, because it's not natural, is to intentionally create that space. I know, it's not what you want to hear, right? Disciplines. Nobody likes that. My wife wants me to get in better shape. I said, honey, this is as sexy as you can handle, baby. (laughs) In which she says, yes. No, yes, she says, I don't know what she says. I don't know what she thinks. She says things like, we just want you to be around for a long time. Why? I say. Look, every day, she's like, let's go for a walk. Let's go to Pokeg. Let's do this. Let's do some jumping jacks. No, she hadn't said that to me in a while. Let's do this. Let's do that. And you know, it's always like, oh, man, honey, I got to get going. Office is waiting. I got up late. I got so much to do. Oh, honey, it's, I'm tired. Had a long day, you know. I've not built that physical discipline into my life because I don't like it. Truth is, we do the same thing spiritually. To go deep, to allow the Spirit of God to work, we have to create this space. Real lasting change is an inside job. Therefore, we must go inside. We must start with the power of God's grace. Not with will, not with self-help, not with any of that. That's all good and has its place. But I'm speaking about your spirit this morning. Working from the, new, from the new identity of Christ out. Spiritual disciplines, like physical disciplines, create that space and opportunity for God to work in my spirit. Spiritual disciplines brings us in line with the new person that God has created in our spirit. All change. Lasting change. Real change happens when I cooperate with God's Spirit and connecting with Him through a discipline. You say, Pastor, you mean read my Bible and pray? I do that and nothing seems to change. It's important that you know this. We do not do spiritual disciplines for God's approval. God will not engage in that type of spiritual discipline. I used to feel so guilty if I missed a day reading my Bible. Because, you know, somewhere in the Bible it says you should read your Bible, right? No. You should read your Bible because it's a discipline that opens up your life to what God wants to say to you. Not because God is going to love you more if you do it, or less if you don't. Every day you don't read your Bible is a day you miss an opportunity for God to go deeper. Same with prayer. And those are not the only two disciplines. There are dozens of disciplines. So I'm going to read a couple quotes and then we're going to wrap up. And I read this book on spiritual disciplines by a lady named Calhoun. And I just, she said a couple things that just really stood out to me. Spiritual disciplines give the Holy Spirit space to brood over your souls. <laughs> You ever brood over somebody? It gives the spirit space. Next next quote. And then she goes on and says this. Spiritual transformation 
Recovering your life comes from partnering with the Trinity for change. That doesn't mean we give the Holy Spirit an agenda. You don't come into those spaces and times and say, okay God, I've, I've got my list and this is what I want you to do. That never works. Typically you go in open, waiting for the Spirit. Because you know what happens in that, right? You always avoid the one thing you really need to work on. We simply desire. We bring our ache for change. Our longing for belonging. Our desperation to make a difference. Then we keep company with Jesus. By making space for Him through a spiritual discipline you got a pen you can write this book down this is the name of this book if you are looking for a way to jump into spiritual disciplines it's called spiritual disciplines handbook there are literally dozens and dozens of spiritual disciplines that you can participate she explains them how to do them gives you ideas on how to do them it's a great book bible reading and prayer not the only two disciplines there are dozens of them that you can do to create space listen The goal is for God to sanctify your spirit through and through. That's the purpose. That's the goal. And you must create this space for God. Only God can really change you, but God cannot do it without you. Grace is resistible. You can say no, but you won't change. We must create this space for God to go deep and allow His grace to work in my heart. We're going to take communion. Our worship team's going to come. This is a great opportunity for us to do a discipline, a means of grace. John Wesley used to say, he, he kind of coined the word means of grace. These are things that we do to open up our life. You know, God's grace is everywhere. At all times. He's in your heart now. He's around you and in your life now. And the grace is there to change if you'll go deep with Him. This table was set for us. As we partake of this, as we take the communion, it's a time for us to evaluate our hearts, our spirits, and say, God, the sacrifice You made for me through your body and your blood. Jesus, am I giving you everything? Is the sacrifice worthy of your response? Yes. Is your response going to change you by responding to His grace? Yes. God wants to do something deeper in you. It's time to open your heart and allow Him to take you there. He will. Pastors are here. Spiritual leaders are here to help you with that guidance. If you have questions and you are like, you know, I want to know more about going deeper. I want to know more about entire things. I want to know more about the process and the events. And I want to know more about this. Those are the kind of things that we will make space for you. We'll sit down with you. We'll talk to you about that will help you spiritually guide that, what God's trying to do in your heart and life. We want to help you with that. Just let us know.